electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Uh, if you want to make friends, I'm just trying to help make some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBZ or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I am sick and tired of being told that earnings are weak this season, especially if they were the Dow soared 417 points. That's going to be surged 1.19%, and the Nasdaq pulled voted 0.86%. <laughs> Constantly hear that we've had, oh, maybe a few mix, some fewer earnings beats than at the same time previous years. Uh, look, it, it doesn't mean anything. Stop listening to it. We don't care about aggregates if we're really trying to buy stocks and invest. We care about the results from companies that are big enough to matter. And so far, the numbers from these, well, let's just say. House of pleasure. They're spectacular. Hey, why don't we do this? Let's take them day by day so you know exactly what I mean. For instance, the biggest report last Monday was no one, none other than Bank of America, the gigantic company with amazing deposits. These guys are practically coining money, taking your deposits and then investing them in high-yielding but risk-free U.S. Treasuries. They're a huge winner from the Fed's aggressive rate hikes. Normally, the banks also suffer from rate hikes because of borrowers with floating rate debt who start defaulting. But so far, default rates are extraordinarily low. Plus, Bank of America has embraced technology in a way that makes all the newly created fintech companies look like also rands. Brian Moynihan, CEO, has emerged as the most trusted, most steady bank CEO in the era. The stock could go much, much higher and still be very cheap. Then Tuesday, J&J, Johnson Johnson reported, and the stock just got annihilated, just crushed. But only because management didn't go into enough detail about their upcoming spinoff, the Consumer Products Division, which is growing much faster than its peers. Plus, J&J's medtech business is also growing a lot faster than anyone was looking for, even though I read analyst reports saying it isn't that fast. Those are wrong. This was a great quarter. And now the stock has made up all of its losses and I think is going much, much higher. 
Rather than focusing on the aggregate numbers, you have to watch something like J&J, gigantic company, is now off the races. While people initially dumped the stock, there was a later wave of buyers who showed that it was indeed a real winner. Oh, and by the way, if you think the Fed will pause its rate hikes, you'll get a decline in the dollar that would be amazing news for the company's bottom line. J&J is a big winner and masked as a small loser. It drove me crazy. Goldman Sachs, all right, now Goldman Sachs was supposed to be doing terribly because there's been so little bond or stock issuance. That means both investment banking and trading had to have been weak, right? Hey, same goes for the lucrative M&A business as there aren't any big deals. But now if you go back in time and you watch my interview with CEO David Solomon from not that long ago, he said they'd taken costs down and his wealth management group was strong enough to generate tremendous earnings power. Nailed it. Then there's Lockheed Martin. So many people predicted a shortfall of this defense contractor. I couldn't believe it. So all anybody tells me is, be careful about Lockheed Martin. It's going to blow up. Be careful. Yeah, when we saw the actual numbers, they were, they were amazing. The stock's been going straight up since then as the short sellers are scrambling to cover. That means bring in their bad bets. Netflix gave us, I'm telling you right now, Netflix gave us the single best quarter of the entire earnings period so far. Just a gigantic beat with an extraordinary upbeat outlook. I've never seen management at this company as bullish as they were. I think they know the quality of the programming they have lined up, and they've done enough on the ad-supported tier to know it'll be a home run. I would buy Netflix right now aggressively. That's how great I think this quarter really was. Wednesday, we got another one that's been misunderstood and I think is going to start making this major move, and that's the stock of Procter & Gamble. Now, uh, this was a thing of beauty, but it was completely misunderstood because people just haven't studied it. They don't know what these things are like. I've been around following Procter & Gamble forever. Procter got hit by the strong dollar, rising raw costs, and a tiny amount of trade down, but not much. I expected much more trade down. The analysts focused on the small amount of trade down and overlooked what would happen if the dollar went down and, and what will happen when the raw costs go uh, from being headwinds to tailwinds. I'm not saying they're idiots. I'm saying that I'm older than them, and I've seen this happen time and again. I think Procter set itself up for a gigantic up surprise going forward, and they made that pretty clear. Yet nobody really paid attention. It was exasperating. If you want the second biggest upside surprise after Netflix, it's another one that people didn't believe. IBM, which is doing spectacularly well with its hybrid cloud strategy. It's working now. Armin Christian's got it working. So many bears tried to nitpick here, but there was just few, there were a few nits to pick. It depressed me to see the, hoop, the hoops critics jumped through to find negatives. They're wrong. Stock's going higher. Not bad, huh? I know that Tesla's having a bad day, and it doesn't help that they're cutting prices in China. But Tesla's selling everything it makes, and they make a fortune on every car that they can sell thanks to their highly efficient non-union workforce. While the China news worries me, the quarter was good. Then there's ATT. Now, this one's been a dog for eight. I mean, honestly, this may be one of the worst stocks in the entire market. But that, that quarter, that quarter was a thing of beauty. It was much better than expected. Uh, I think the stock's bottomed because ATT's beating the pants off of Verizon. It's honestly amazing how quickly they've gotten their mojo back in practically every category. The stock's still cheap. It has room to run. On Thursday, we were all focused on social media, also in Snap, which turned out to be a little more, really, honestly, a little more 
than an unmonetizable messaging system for kids with a boring, junked-up news section that nobody can read. I can't believe that Snap got more attention than Meta or Alphabet, with the latter not even mentioned in the acquisition, in the equation. Alphabet was not mentioned in the equation. Not once did I hear, well, wait a second, maybe some of this is going to Alphabet. It is. Now, it's only when $23 billion, but, uh, it's only $23 billion, but uh, tractor supply. We've got to talk about it for a second. The only big retailer of the week, it was monumental, and the stock hasn't stopped going up. I mentioned this one because people initially viewed the quarter as a disappointment. Still one more reason to distrust these aggregate counts of upside and downside surprises. This thing was absolutely put in the you got to throw it away right now category. And then look at it. Here comes uh, and here's one. This was incredible. And yet people yawned. CSX. I listened to CEO Joe Hendricks. I knew him from Ford. And he told a story of excellent cargo line after excellent cargo line, with the big surprise being coal. The analysts did their best to argue that Hendricks' lack of railroad experience would really hurt the business. I thought, I thought their questions were embarrassing. I don't care. What, what matters is we got a gigantic upside surprise from a major railroad, of all things. You know what? It should have made a huge splash, but everyone was too busy getting to the bottom of Snap, which is a $13 billion company, for heaven's sake. Oh, although even that doesn't make sense. Finally, Friday, we get an amazing quarter from Slob, SLB, the company formerly known as Slumberjack. This is the number one oil service firm in the world. It's an amazing bellwether for the entire industry. Slob gave you a monster top and bottom line beat. And I think the stock's got a clear path ahead of it because we've coming off seven years of underinvestment in oil service. Yes, they changed their name to SLB. That's fine. It's for environmental point out how much more environmental they are. I like that. Then there's American Express, AXP. This is probably one of the most exasperated, misunderstood businesses and quarters I've come across. American Express is in the strongest shape I can recall. Their growth is off the charts. And when a credit card company expands like that, they need to up their loan provisions. That's what happens. Everyone is freaked out by that provision. But the company's firing on all cylinders. And if you look at the history, the number wasn't even particularly bad. It was embarrassing how people sold Amex in response to a true upside surprise. Now, I could have picked 10 more winners. All like, For instance, I didn't even mention the airlines. They were all great. Uh, but but the, these were telegraphed, and their greatness was well known. I didn't bother with any of the smaller banks, yet they were terrific, too. But the bottom line, the real takeaway from the week of re- the ones that we're really looking for, the companies that are really important, Listen to me. The real takeaway is that earnings are sharply better than expected. And that, not just the idea that the Fed might pause the rate hike sector's upcoming meeting, which is what's driving the market's newfound strength. The earnings so far are real good. The surveys that tell you otherwise are pure misdirection plays. Let's go to Dylan in Georgia. Dylan. Hey, Jim. How are you doing? Jimmy Schill's doing fine. How about you? I'm doing all right. Uh, the stock well, I'm calling in fun. today is Devon Energy. My okay. Question, I, I, yep. Oh, I was wondering, do you think it'll continue to rise into or even after the recession due to its cyclical factor? Sure. Okay, we'll Devin is a, Devin's a big holding for our charitable trust, which, you, of course, you can find out more if you are members of our investing club. And Devin has been one of the best companies in the world. It is not going to be hurt by any of this. Rick Moncrief's doing a terrific job. And it is still a stock worth holding. The, look, the important earnings so far are sharply better than expected. And I think that's a large part of the market's newfound strength. On Man Money tonight, activist firm Starboard Value 
had a very busy week last week, setting its sights on four new companies. So what should we make of the latest move? I'm digging into the details. Then, a strong dollar has spelled bad news for stocks. But are there signs that the dollar could be peaking? I'm going off the charts to find out in a very contrary view. And last week, we got a call on Iron Mountain during the lighting round. I said we needed to do a deeper dive in the stock. So tonight, we're doing just that and sharing all you need to know. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also, a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Has high tech gotten so cheap that big name activist firms are finally coming out of the woodwork to look at them? It sure seems like that. Last week, Starboard Value, a very successful activist hedge fund run by Jeff Smith, publicly discussed new stakes in four different companies. Get this, Wix, Splunk, Salesforce.com, and Vertiv, the last one being much more industrial-oriented. Now, we've been following each of these for a long time. They're high-quality businesses, but their stocks have been totally out of style in the Wall Street fashion show of late, ever since, of course, November of last year. So you better believe it caught my attention when the head of Starboard, Jeff Smith, sat down with David Faber, my Squawk on the Street partner, at the Active Passive Investor Summit to talk about these very positions. 
After taking the weekend to soak it all in, what exactly does it mean that a high-profile activist firm is betting big on so many cloud plays? Remember, cloud is always thought to be fast-growing but expensive. Why are the starboard guys sticking on their necks out like this? The cloud stocks have been nonstop disasters for almost a year. What gives them the confidence to take a risk with these four stocks? Starburst thesis is actually pretty simple. For years, investors in the cloud space only cared about revenue growth, which was less than ideal for Salesforce, Wix, and Splunk because they're far from the fastest growers in space. When the Fed declared war on inflation list, remember, though, Wall Street turned against these revenue growth stories. We're now in a high inflation, rising interest rate environment where what investors care about is profitability. Plus, growth across the industry is slowing anyway. So the cloud plays need to become more profitable in order to offset the damage. Now, there's something we've talked about. It's a little complicated in the past, and it's called the rule of 40. You take the revenue growth, then add the operating margin. And if the sum is greater than 40, then your software as a service business is in good shape. The idea here is that you either need ultra-fast growth or high profitability. Otherwise, your stock's not worth really worth owning. A lot of managers think like that. This is the gospel. What matters now is that Wall Street's pivoted to profitability, and while all the cloud stocks have come down, Starboard thinks that Salesforce, Splunk, and Wix all can make big improvements when it comes to actually making money, not just producing unprofitable revenue growth. Starboard likes that these are high-quality businesses with sticky subscription-based revenue and lots of opportunity for margin expansion as they finally focus on turning a profit rather than growing like crazy. Plus, the valuations are now at multi-year lows, which is why they think it's the perfect time to buy. It's something that I've been saying, but it has cost my travel trust a lot of money. I know a lot of people in Burn trying to call bottom the cloud stocks, including me. And I wish we'd been much more negative on Salesforce for the travel trust over the past year. But there's a reason I take Starboard's moves very seriously. It's because I can remember what they did with Box, the cloud storage and business collaboration play. Also, just so you know, I've been liking Salesforce since the mid-single digits. So let's not abuse me too much. Starboard took a position in Box, that's that Aaron Levy coming, back in September of 2019 after years of underperformance. Six months later, they made a deal with Box to put three new independent directors on the board. But the relationship soured, and in the middle of last year, Starboard launched a proxy contest, which they only failed. However, they got what they really wanted out of Box because the proxy fire lit them fire under management. The fight was just what well, was also very vocal. Specifically, Starboard wanted Box to improve its margins, and that's exactly what they've done with their operating margins rising from 1% in 2019 to 20% last year. In response, the stock rallied from under $25 when Starboard got involved to 30, I'm sorry, under $15 when Starboard got involved to 33. That's right, the stock went from 15 to 33 at its highest this April, even as it's pulled back to $28 as of today, along with the rest of the group. But look at this move. This is them, okay? This is them. How terrific is that? That's starboard. Make a noise. I love it. It's still up 7% for the year, though. It's insanely strong compared to the rest of the cloud cohort. And now starboard wants Wix, Salesforce, and Splunk to do the same thing. Let's take them one by one. Wix saw this huge surge in demand during the pandemic because every local business had to build out on online presence. We did it for Bar San Miguel using them. It's pretty simple to use. These guys invested heavily to support that growth, which is why Wix returned to unprofitability after years of making money. Now it's growth is stalled. Again, post-COVID, the stock has just been obliterated. But Starboard thinks they can get their margins back up substantially by cutting marketing spending and laying off workers. This is where, I mean, you know, this thing has been a horse. We used it, by the way, just so you know, 
to make menus because it's very easy to constantly redo when you're using Wix product, and it was very inexpensive. While management's already starting taking set, uh, to take steps in the right direction, the activists can go a lot further. My view, I can tell you that Wix is beloved by small business customers, but, including me, but I worry that this is an increasingly crowded field. They're up against Squarespace, GoDaddy, the big guy Adobe, Adobe and then even Shopify. Could be an uphill battle. Still, Starboard makes a pretty compelling case. All right, next is Splunk, which helps companies make, make sense of machine-generated data. These guys have been transitioning to a cloud-based business model for years. It's taking too long. It hasn't been a smooth, smooth ride. Although things have definitely gotten better since Gary Steele took over as CEO. You know, he's a familiar face to you if you watch the show a lot. Starboard likes Splunk because Splunk is vital to its large enterprise customers. More than 95 of the companies in the Fortune 100 use their software. However, they also point out that Splunk's been plagued by poor execution. Totally true. As Steele gets the cloud transition under control, Splunk's barges could soar, translating to much higher earnings. Boy, do I like this call. More important, Starboard has also floated the idea of pushing Splunk to sell itself. Now, I agree. Remember, Gary Steele used to run Proofpoint, which he ultimately sold to a private equity firm for a big premium. We even heard some clatter about Cisco was willing to buy Splunk earlier this year. Consider me intrigued, although I would not say that Cisco is interested in it now. Then there's the big kahuna, Salesforce, the king of the cloud. When Jeff Smith spoke to David Faber last week, he said he was thrilled to invest in Salesforce. He never thought he'd get a good buying opportunity until the stock pulled back 55% from its highs. This has been just horrendous. Horrendous for my charitable trust, even though we had it like this for the longest time. So you get the point. At these levels, the stock now trades at a substantial discount to its peers. Starboard argues that because Salesforce revenue growth has indeed slowed, and they haven't generated enough profitability to offset the damage, I think co-CEO Mark Benioff is already on the case here. That's what makes me so excited about this. Plus, the numbers in recent years have been distorted by some big acquisitions like Tableau Data and Slack, which make huge sense long-term because they give customers more functionality, even if there's a short-term hit to profitability. I think Salesforce is actually too big for an activist to have much impact. But I'm happy to bet alongside Starboard here. By the way, Mark Benioff is too. He likes these guys. And how can you not? They're smart, and they don't come in with guns blazing. They come in with ideas. All right, finally, little one, got to talk about it. Vertif. Now, this is a supplier to the data center, which really, really has been crushed, okay? Uh, You could argue it doesn't really fit into the cloud software theme, but give me a break here. I'm trying to be holistic. I bring it up because we followed Vertif closely for a long time. This was an old-school SPAC story from Goldman Sachs led by Dave, Dave Cody, the former CEO of Honeywell and some other people, and uh, they wanted to create picks and shovels for the data centers. Unfortunately, Vertiv was just wrecked by supply chain problems. A lot of companies had them, right? Starting late last year, the stock's also been eviscerated by the rotation out of tech, and they didn't raise prices for their own equipment to keep up with all the stuff that they were paying for themselves. Stock's been a disaster. Now that the global economy is slowing and there's much less pressure on Vertiv's supply chain, can, the, can it make a comeback? Starboard's betting that they can win big by focusing on profitability. You know what? I think they're dead right. I really do. In my view, Cody doesn't need Starboard to turn this around. He'll do it himself. I think he started. But it's good to have their support. We've seen them do a lot of good things when they're involved. Here's the bottom line. I trust Starboard's judgment here. If you take a look at these again, there's no need to chase any of them. I mean, Salesforce was up big last week. Uh, Splunk, Wix, Vertiv have all roared since the news broke. 
Given the potential ugliness of the market once it starts going higher and then plummets, I bet you'll get many more chances to buy them in a weakness. But you know what? With the possible exception of Wix, because it does have a small business problem, I like every one of them. Mad Money's back in. Coming up, in for a dime? Today, Kramer's in for a dollar. You know me, it's the USD off the charts. Next. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Look, if there's one takeaway from this earnings season, it's that we're completely hostage to the insanely strong dollar. So many companies have reported numbers that would have been fantastic. They just haven't been weighed down by an unfavorable exchange rate. I talked about them even at the top of the show. I know a strong currency sounds like a good thing, and it is if you're buying from overseas. But it is the kiss of death for any American company that does business overseas both because it makes their goods more expensive and because the exchange rate means foreign earnings translate into far fewer greenbacks when the dollar shoots up like this. Now, thanks to persistent inflation worldwide, investors are parking their money in U.S. Treasuries, hoping to wait out the turmoil. To do that, they need to exchange their currencies for dollars first, which is why the dollar keeps getting stronger. That's why tonight we're going off the charts with the help of Carly Garner, a brilliant technician who's the co-founder of DeCarly Trading and the author of Higher Probability of Commodity Trading, which I recommend to you, in order to get a better read on what's happening with our currency. And I love this piece. Garner points out that whenever you speculate in stocks or bonds or commodities, you're indirectly trading in U.S. dollars. For example, the U.S. dollar index, which measures the greenback against basket foreign currencies, settles in the opposite direction of the major averages roughly 90% of the time. That's incredible. Same goes for 10-year treasuries. Uh, That's the treasury futures. If anything, that correlation is just too extreme. Garner thinks it's likely comes down to algorithmic trading programs, overzealous hedging, and momentum traders. Not, and this is what's so important for you at home, the fundamentals. But for whatever reason, we can't deny the dollars in the driver's seat. Just take a look at this intraday chart showing the dollar index futures in green and the E-mini S&P 500 futures in red. Each price bar represents six hours of action. Garner points out that they're practically mirror images of each other. So S&P goes down, dollar goes up. This is really important. This is it. Look at this. Every time, ever since July, they've had almost an absurdly strong negative correlation. Stocks rallied in mid-August, and the dollar started picking up, and stocks collapsed. So you can see it over and over. Every time the dollar picks up steam, the S&P gets slammed. Every time the dollar starts pulling back, like last week, the S&P starts showing signs of light. And look, you can see the exact kind of correlation between the dollar index futures and the copper futures. 
The correlation is so strong, it's like synchronized swimmers. Of course, there should be some relationship between copper and the dollar. After all, copper's price in dollars. But lately, Garner thinks <laughs> it is. Come on, admit it. You have to. Sometimes the charts are incredible, aren't they? Garner says the copper's behaving like the greenback, and it really is the only factor that matters. All right, now let's get to the big daddy, bonds. Check out the daily chart of the benchmark 10-year Treasury note in purple versus the dollar in green. When the dollar surged in August, it created a one-direction environment in Treasuries, when, where prices go lower and yields go lower. Garner notes that only the brief pause in the dollar rally last month, and that's right here, see the green, that pause gave the tenure some relief. But that turned out to be a head fake or temporary, depending upon how you feel about things. So if the dollar keeps running, she thinks we're in for a world of pain. But can it keep running? That's the point of this piece. According to Bloomberg, the most overcrowded trade out there right now are people going long the U.S. dollar and long crude oil. Whether that's about speculation or hedging, Garner says both oil and the dollar have been perpetually overcrowded ever since Russia invaded Ukraine. But one is not like the other. Oil peaked at 130 a barrel over the summer and it's now pulled back to the mid-80s. Something, by the way, Garner called in advance on this show. On this show, you got that call to sell the oil. She was adamant the Ukrainian spike in, the crude, in crude would be temporary when many others felt it was just a road, way station to go even higher. The dollar, on the other hand, just keeps chugging. It's the one asset yet to revert to the mean. Everything else, stocks, commodities, bonds, have all swung back this year. As Garner sees it, the greenback is the last holdout, and she doesn't think it will last. So check out the weekly chart of the dollar index going back five years. Garner points out that historically the dollar has been known to make dramatic tops. Look at that blow off, will you? The last three peaks follow a trend line that dates back to 2017. And the dollar is just under that trend line right now. It's the ceiling of resistance, okay? Garner's been watching this level at this 113.40 as a potential area of what would be a reversal. Thus far, the dollar hasn't been able to close above that level. Right here. This is it. As long as it can't break through that ceiling, Garner thinks the dollar will become increasingly susceptible to gravity. In other words, she expected to suffer the same fate as every other asset class this year. Mean reversion to a more natural level, one that's a lot lower. Currently, the dollar index is 112. She would be surprised to see it 105 on the downside, which would represent the weekly trend line, excluding a spike in March of 2020 when COVID first hit. Longer term, she could see the dollar index sinking all the way back to 97, where it was trading before Russia invaded Ukraine in February. That would be spectacular for stocks. At the same time, Garner sees a habitual bearish divergence on the relative strength index, or RSI, down at the bottom. This is really important. Uh, this is an important momentum oscillator that helps identify when prices moves have gotten overextended. When the RSI reaches an extreme height, as it has right now, then that makes lower highs as the underlying asset keeps climbing. That's called a divergence, all right? Now, when it, it's, and it's what we're looking at with the dollar index. More often than not, Garner says, this is a sign that momentum is waning. When the RSI gets overbought like this and starts to falter, there's a good chance that the underlying asset is going to get crushed. So we have to watch the RSI, too. For example, the RSI uh, for natural gas looked like this for a while. For the nat gas, futures swiftly lost 40% of their value. Again, a move called by Garner. 
Why does this matter? Because Gar sees that even if we have high inflation and high interest rates and political turmoil, if the dollar can start going lower, all sorts of assets should be able to gain value. The big winners would be in internationally oriented companies like I talk about all the time, including Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson and Treasuries. But it would also save us a bundle on commodities. Here's the bottom line. And commodities are really jacking up the price of things. Uh, the strong dollar has become an albatross uh, 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 around the neck of an already beaten down market. But now the charts, at last, as interpreted by Carly Garner, suggest the dollar could be peaking. I hope she's right, because a weaker dollar would be incredibly strong for almost every single stock. I say we take calls. Let's go to Bill in Virginia. Bill. Yes, sir. Mr. Kramer, how are you doing today? Bill in Virginia. Uh, I, uh, Jimmy Chill's doing well. What are you up to? Uh, trying to make some money here with this down and the turn in the market and the federal interest rate increases. Just wondering about SoFi for a long term. I think SoFi's bottoming. I think SoFi's bottoming. I think Anthony Noto, this is how it starts. It's at five. That was all the way up. And I, we got the SPAC money out. I did not like that. But I think SoFi, which is a very interesting bank, really building itself out, is at the right level to buy. Now we're going to Tyler in California. Tyler. Hey, Big Booyah from California. How are you doing, Jim? Jim's doing well. How about you? I'm doing good. Thank you for asking. So uh, I'll, I'll make it quick. Uh, with lots of sure. in- insiders and institutional banks buying up shares, and the stock beating the last four earnings, it has a 4.38% dividend yield. Um, I, I would like to know what you think of, uh, especially with the cost of food going up, uh, how this affects uh, a stock like KHC. Okay, Kraft Heinz is a terrible company, but its stock reflects an even horrible, more, more horrible company. So the stock is too cheap versus what is a not great company. And you know what? Sometimes we can make money like that. You never know, but I think you can with that one. All right, the dollar strength is hitting the market hard, including some of my favorites like Procter, J&J, but the chart suggests it could be peaking, and a weaker dollar would be a gigantic positive for stocks, for companies that have to buy commodities. It would really be just great for the translation. Oh, man, she's right. This market's going to soar. Much more made money yet. Could Iron Mountain bring some strong gains to your portfolio? I'm taking a close look at the stock. Give me my take. Then, should watching the early morning futures be a part of your investing strategy? Or could it skew you in the wrong direction? I'm thinking of the action of the last 24 hours and giving you the best way to navigate the early morning movements. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. During the lightning round last Friday, we got a call from Hutch in Arizona who wanted to know about Iron Mountain. That's a specialized real estate investment trust that owns secure facilities for paper documents, also highly fortified data centers. Of course, I resisted asking Hutch where his buddy Starsky was and told him my gut feeling on Iron Mountain. I like the company a great deal, especially after its recent pivot to the data center. It's a very good business. But like Hutch, I also noticed that Iron Mountain stock has been hammered of late, falling from the mid-50s to the mid-40s in a matter of days. He wanted to know if there was any kind of dramatic news behind the pullback that might change the story. I didn't want to just go off the cuff. That's not what we do here. So I told him I would go back and figure out what the heck's going on. First, though, let me explain what this company does. The old Iron Mountain was a paper management company. When your cabinets were overflowing at the office, 
you called them and told them what to shred and what to store in a secure offsite facility. And we're talking about highly secure. Some of these storage areas are in, inside actual mountains, Iron Mountain. That was a solid business, especially when the IRS let them convert into a real estate investment trust in 2014. But it's also a boring business, one that was steadily declining as the whole world went digital. I mean, who the heck keeps records on paper when you can store everything in the darn cloud or in a hard drive? So seven odd years ago, Iron Mountain moved into the data center business via a series of acquisitions. They started offering all sorts of electronic information storage services, while the legacy paper management uh, business still makes up the bulk of their revenue. The company's now got a powerful growth engine in its data center unit. The old Iron Mountain was a wasting asset. The new Iron Mountain can take the cash thrown off by the paper division and invest it in new data centers. They've now got 26 sites across 18 markets. They've also started moving into new areas like asset lifecycle management, which is basically a safe and secure way for companies to decommission their tech hardware. Can't just throw away your old computers because there might be something sensitive on them. Now, that pivot took several years for Iron Mountain to pull off, and they spent a lot of money in the process doing it, which meant lackluster earnings for really quite a long period of time. However, last year, everything finally clicked. Iron Mountain's funds from operations, the REIT equivalent of earnings, grew by 14% year-over-year. Very strong stock rallied more than 77%. Some of of that's from the earnings breakout. Some of it's because investors started buying the the new thesis, realizing Iron Mountain had become more of a tech play. We like that. This year's been less positive, though the stock's held up pretty darn well versus the rest of the market, down less than 9% year-to-date. Boy, this market's been bad. Iron Mountain ran to a new all-time high of 58 and change in April. Then it's pulled back over the spring and summer. On top of that, the stock had a big breakdown last month, going from the mid-50s to the mid-40s just in a matter of days before climbing back to the high 40s over the past few weeks. How do you explain the breakdown? I think there's two parts to the story. From a big-picture perspective, Iron Mountain's a real estate investment trust with a 5.2% dividend yield. Oh, terrific. But in recent months, dividend stocks have been under pressure because they really got some very meaningful competition from the bond market. Iron Mountain's 5.2% yield looks a lot less attractive when you can get 4.5% risk-free from two-year treasuries. That's up from 3.45, by the way, at the end of August. Every time bond yields go up, dividend stocks like Iron Mountain become incrementally less attractive. Of course, that's just the context. More important, in the case of Iron Mountain, they held an investor event on September 20th where they unveiled their strategy for the next few years. They rolled out a series of long-term targets for 2025. They want to get to $7.3 billion in revenue, up from $4.5 billion just last year. They want $1.5 billion in funds from operations, up from $1 billion last year. We're talking about an 8% compound annual growth rate. Even though the stock sold off hard in response, none of those financial targets, I think, are problematic. What freaked people out is that Iron Mountain's planning to deploy roughly $4 billion in growth capital expenditures from 2023 through 2026. This gave investors flashbacks to the 2016 to 2019 period, where Iron Mountain spent a fortune to build up their data center business from the funds from operations, and they were, those were capped. Keep in mind, we're in an environment where Wall Street loves profitability and hates spending. Here's how the analyst at Stiefel explained it. We believe some investors were skittish about IRM's ability to fund roughly $4 billion in growth-oriented capex over the next four years while increasing the dividend without issuing equity and staying within its targeted leverage ratio. Mmm, equity. That always hurts. So in the end, Iron Mountain got hit because there's planning to spend a lot of money to grow the data center business. I think that's a mistake that it got hurt. 
We're already seeing what happens after a big investment cycle here. They spent a fortune from 2016 through 2019, and that's when the stock caught fire. Bottom line, the way I see it, Iron Mountain's earned our trust, and their secure data center business is absolutely worth investing in. Plus, the stock now trades at roughly 14 times next year's funds from operations estimate with a bountiful 5.2% yield. And in the end, I think the buyback here is an opportunity. May have back here for the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast fire lightning round. Next. Jim Kramer is the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski daddy, time for the lightning round. Let's start with, let's start with Kenneth in Louisiana. Kenneth. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. I am a Fantastic. new uh, viewer and uh, first-time caller. I wanted to ask That's about right. IEP. All right, now, uh, this IEP. is natural. You think it absolutely is going to be a winner, right? You got a 40% yield, Carl Icahn, but I will not recommend stocks that I don't know what's in. That's just, it's just since the start of the show, I don't know what's in that fund. I can't recommend it. Let's go to Paul in New Jersey. Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. A two-time caller and club member. Excellent. Thank you for being a member of the club. A lot of people finished this weekend. Love the club. How can I help? Love the club. Uh, Constellation Energy, is it still time to get in, or should I wait for a full day? It's fine. Constellation Energy is still good because it is the cleanest form of energy, and there are many funds that want to be in that kind of stock. Now we're going to go to Andy in California. Andy! Jim, I hope you are well today. I am struggling because, oh my God, I've been on the road a lot, but I am doing well. How about you? Doing just great here. So this is for a retirement account with a five to seven year holding period at least. And the question is, when the market comes back in a little bit, and understanding that I would buy more when the Fed crunches things even further, what are your thoughts on starting a position in Alexandria Real Estate? Ticker symbol Not good enough. They're not good enough. Now, they're going to hear that and say, listen, if you just, Jim, give us a chance. I have. I have studied it. It's just not good enough. There are other companies that are better, give you a higher yield, but if you have a growth perspective, I just don't want you to buy that one. I don't think it's done a good enough job. Let's go to Tom in Kentucky. Tom. Yes, booyah. Booyah, Tom, what's up? Jim, love your show. Been watching it for years. I Thank you. I want to know what you thought about NYCB. Okay, it's not worth reaching. It's not worth reaching for that 7.7% yield. We like a little growth. I have to tell you, I know that the stock, I'd rather see you in one that should not be where it is, that yields a very good price, and that's Morgan Stanley. They did a better job than people realize, and that's the buy. Club members know I feel this way. One more. Let's go to Dale in Montana. Dale. Hey, Jim. Walgreens Booth Alliance. Okay, I spent some time with the gentleman who is a very high level at the company uh, during my wife's Mezcal signing for her uh, plus four. And I came away thinking it's time to reopen the books 
and look at what Roz Brewer is doing because I think it may be time to pull the trigger. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, this market needs a palm reader like a hedge fund needs a tax break. The future is bright, but the futures? To those who can turn the other cheek, stick with Kramer. Booyah, Jim. I love you, man. I've been watching you from day one. Thank you for all the wonderful advice that you provide us. I'm learning so much watching your show. Watch your program every day. I love it. Always wanted to say booyah on your show. Thank you for being the greatest in the world. We consider you the money market maker, and we thank you for all you do. I love your show. I'm a long-time fan of your show, and we think it's the most entertaining program on TV. Listen to me. Pay no attention to the S&P futures in the morning. They know nothing! They often fool you into making sloppy decisions about the rest of the day. Just consider the sequence we went through in the last 24 hours. Yesterday, the futures were up nicely by 7 p.m. because we were told the market was uh, having a carryover from Friday's terrific rally. Made no real sense at all, but at least there's an explanation. Then when I woke up this morning at 4 a.m., the futures are down big. Why? China's disposing of the capitalist rotors, meaning anyone who's not on board with the hardline president Xi's backing of, of the old-style communism. But sometime between 6 and 7.30 a.m., we got a slow build in the futures, with everyone scrambling for an excuse to justify the strength of that move. None was provided to my satisfaction because commentators were looking for some sort of big-picture explanations rather than anything from individual stocks. As the futures kept going up, people figured there had to be something happening. Maybe a Fed pivot away from raising rates. Maybe they'll pause after next week's meeting because they don't want to impact the election. The presumption here was there had to be some big picture good news or else the futures wouldn't be running. Meanwhile, I'm always doing work each morning, developing a note internally called What I Am Looking At. That's a memo for our on-air anchors and for producers. Do you know I now share that memo with you, investing club members? If you looked at it, you would know that the future rally was completely out of whack with what we were hearing from research firms about individual companies. For example, Tesla just revealed that they're cutting prices in China. Something is devastating, given the fact they just reported. Anything that happens to a $600 billion company is going to impact the future, especially when it comes to surprise. Then there's the semis. Barclays hit them with gigantic downgrades. I mean, holy cow. Sell, 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 sell. An incredibly important call because the semis blanket the NASDAQ. Not only were these downgrades, we saw incredibly aggressive price target cuts. And, of course, the gigantic Chinese stocks like Alibaba and JD.com collapse because President Xi is no friend of the stock market. American companies with big business in China, like Starbucks and Yum China, are hideous. By the way, please don't believe any of the people who say buy China. They come on air constantly, including major firms. They usually write for about 48 seconds, and then you get burned. They know nothing! Then we get a giant downgrade of Meta Platforms, the artist formerly known as Facebook, with a stock that's already down over 60% for the year. Oh, thank you! This was high-profile pro- slashing from buy to hold, with tons of negativity about reels, even the concept of the metaverse itself slowing Instagram. I mean, they're throwing the kitchen sink at it. 
You know what? I actually take the other side of the trade. As we own some meta for the trust, uh, you can take a look at what we've been saying. I believe that Zuckerberg long term can pull it off. I know these next quarters are going to be terrible, but so do the traders. Look how low the stocks come on top of that. An activist firm, Altimeter Capital, is calling for dramatic, drastic cut cutting, cost cutting to create a leaner, meaner meta. The stock looked down big as Altimeter called the current spending horrifying. Father, there were so many negative pieces about Mark Express and Apple. Who can forget still one more savage piece on GE by GAP Morgan's Steve Tusa? At least GE's become a smaller cap stock, so the pin action doesn't do all that much damage. So what happens? Almost immediately after the opening, the S&P goes negative, and then Nasdaq is crushed. Why? Because the futures don't matter. Once individual stocks took over, things were just plain nasty. The futures up high were totally divorced from the trenches, where the real battle plays out. Now, here's the irony. Once you started rolling over, there were buying opportunities galore, including a great entry point into nothing other than into meta. And the market quickly came roaring back. I told club members this afternoon that it's time to buy Starbucks because relations with China are going to be fine. But I don't think you have anything to learn from the action in the futures themselves. They mean nothing. Certainly, they don't tell you how the stock market's going to open, as we saw this very morning. You can often go against the futures and make big money, assuming you're nimble enough to trade. Sometimes there is no good explanation, people, for the action in the futures market. And if you try to invent one, it'll only lead you astray. Better to focus on individual stocks and let the futures take them down to discounted prices so you can buy them at bargains. Buy, 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 buy. As you got when the market fell apart early morning. I like to say there's always a bull market summer. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.